Bullshit. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe, free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the No Bullshit Marketing Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. We'll take everyone back to freshman year in this episode with some ideas on how to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. But first, let's cut the bullshit. Today's topic, this tragic death of a student at Penn State University from a fraternity hazing continues to receive ongoing national media attention, and the university continues to make some questionable decisions from a PR standpoint. The death of Timothy Piazza, a Penn State student who died after a night of excessive drinking in February as part of a fraternity pledge hazing, was initially ruled an accident. But a grand jury that looked into the case now ruled that it was, quote, the direct result of encouraged reckless conduct. Eight Beta Theta Pi fraternity members face charges of involuntary manslaughter, and an additional 10 face lesser charges, including multiple counts of hazing, reckless endangerment of another person, and furnishing alcohol to minors. It's a sad tragedy that hits home to parents across the country of high school and college students. I feel terrible for everyone involved. It's uh, a sad situation, a sad story. I'm not here to talk about uh, the legal aspect, but rather the way Penn State University's handled or mishandled the communication around the situation. Penn State permanently banned the fraternity from campus and imposed a series of new restrictions on parties campus-wide after Piazza's death. That was a smart, good, common-sense move that they made quickly. They prepared for the media onslaught, I think, and they wanted to put Eric Barron, the Penn State University president front and center on some of the major interviews. And I'm here talking about, in general, I think there's been some opportunities missed and mishandled with respect to the public relations, the messaging, and the delivery. I'll talk about a couple of specific ones that are related to the Today Show, since it's a national network that still has strong viewership every day. And they were on a couple of times about uh, probably around May 9th or 10th. Eric Barron, again, Penn State University's president, was asked by Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show whether the university could or should have done more. I believe Barron fumbled the response by starting out with, this is clearly a national problem. He might have been nervous He might have jumped to a statement he didn't intend to make first. But when he had that opportunity to open up, he had the chance to show compassion, show vision, and still get in the key message points. When you start off by saying this is clearly a national problem and go on to talk about 
debts that other universities have had. It's not an incorrect statement. It's not awful, but it's not a strong opening statement to a question that was asked in a very heartfelt manner, saying how sad it was and tragic it was and how it made people sick in the stomach and people were having the impression that maybe more could have or should have been done. Starting with this is clearly a national problem, in my opinion, was not the wisest way to um, start the conversation. Eric Barron, the president of Penn State, went on to talk about the pledge that fraternity members across campus were asked to sign about not partying. He talked about how they had faculty advisors. He talked about how if you looked on the surface, this fraternity would probably have been seen as a good example of a positive fraternity. Again, factual comments, but this isn't asking to the question of could you have done more and what you're wanting as a viewer, whether you're a PR practitioner or not, is you want to hear that, well, this was terrible and there's some things we could have done better and so forth. Well, he added that if behind closed doors, a group of people are willing to band together and do something, his quote was, how is it that universities are going to be able to deal with a situation like that? It's private property and so on. Guthrie from the Today Show went on to say, one might perceive that the university turned a blind eye. Barron responded by describing that the university has worked on this for 10 plus years. That part of his answer was good because he pointed out that Penn State has been trying to improve in this area for more than a decade, but his initial response was simply not strong. He should have handled the question differently by focusing on the tragedy and offering his condolences to the family, even though he's probably done that in other interviews. One of the things that we as humans tend to do that's BS is we overcompensate for our desire to be genuine. It happens time and again to all of us, including me, even though I've been at this a long time from the messaging front. But we deal with clients who struggle when you work through message points that are clear, concise, and convey what you want to convey. And they're just points that you interject in your own style and your own way. And I've found that people struggle to say the same thing within an interview and in a follow-up interview with another media outlet. It's simply a mistake because you lose the power of your messages and you end up making mistakes. So maybe that's what happened. Maybe in his mind, he thought he had a limited amount of time on the Today Show and he'd offered condolences so many other times. But there were many people watching that for the first time. And they were going to have their perception of the Penn State approach and the Penn State brand based on this interview. So he should have focused initially on the tragedy, speaking how it's a tragedy. He did say this is a sad thing that shouldn't happen to anyone as he was shaking his head. But again, that could be misperceived as he meant him going through it, which I, I didn't perceive it that way, but I'm saying there's possibilities. So you want to completely rule out any possibility of a negative by just immediately saying, this is a sad, tragic situation. We feel for the family. This is a, he was a part of the Penn State family. He always will be. Those types of things. He should have then mentioned his point about how Penn State has worked on it for a decade, immediately after offering the words of sympathy to the family. And he might have mentioned that 
you always wish you could have done more in any kind of situation like this, no matter who you are, no matter who's involved. That's a caring way to say you could have done more, but you're still covered from a legal standpoint because that's the other thing that happens. Legal gets involved and they're pushing back against the messaging people and the PR people and they're saying, no, don't say this, be legal. And I can tell you time and again, when you concern yourself so much with being legal to a T, this is what happens. You you don't say anything remotely clear to saying you wish you could have done more. Of course he wishes he could have done more. That's not culpability. And that's the way you word it. You word it in a conversational tone. You say, look, any of us, when we're in any kind of situation like this, we always wonder, could we have done more? And you always wish you could have done more to avoid any tragic situation. That's caring, but it's still covered from a legal standpoint. He could have also mentioned that students involved were wrong and that he believes their behavior is unacceptable and not the norm at the university. The students were wrong. I don't care what your law firm told you to say. The students were wrong. (laughs) And their behavior is unacceptable at any university. And it certainly is not the norm at Penn State University or any other university. So I believe that's a missed opportunity when you don't mention that the students involved were wrong and that their behavior is unacceptable and it's not the norm. You have to be strong and you have to be firm. That's what we want. That's what the people wanted when they were watching that national broadcast of the Today Show. They wanted to walk away saying, boy, that's a tragedy. But Penn State's on it. They've been working on it for a decade. They realized these students were wrong. They realized they could have done more. And the president was compassionate. Instead, you walked away saying, what's up with that guy? He was kind of bland and he was kind of legalese and he didn't seem like very compassionate and he didn't own up that they could have done more. Now, he did close the interview with a strong statement that said that the fraternity will never be back at Penn State. I'm not sure that I would give him an F, but I'm also sure that I certainly would not give him an A or a B and probably not even a C for that performance on the Today Show. Then five days later, the Today Show had Timothy Piazza's parents and brother on the show. During this appearance, Timothy's father, Jim, made the eye-opening to me, eye-opening to me, declaration that, quote, no one from the fraternity or from Penn State came to the wake or the funeral. What? That's beyond bad PR. That's just bullshit. What were they thinking? Well, the university said a representative shared in advance with the Piazzas that, quote, he was unfortunately likely unable to attend the funeral. Quote, he was unfortunately likely unable to attend the funeral But they did participate in a campus vigil with family. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay, okay, of course. Because there's only one person at the university who could possibly attend the funeral. It's a tiny university with three employees. That's called sarcasm. Come on. That's BS. No professors who knew him? No other administrators? Just one person who was, quote, unfortunately, likely unable to attend the funeral. When tragedy strikes, you need to think in terms of compassion for victims 
and also about how you're going to present your company fairly and as positive as possible. You need to have a crisis communications plan in place, and I'm sure Penn State University does. That crisis communications plan needs to be discussed regularly, at least quarterly, with a group of cross-sectional employees from various departments, and it's got to be updated annually. There has to be ongoing media training for multiple parties because multiple people could be involved. You need to use an empathetic voice and follow a common sense approach. What do I mean by a common sense approach and an empathetic voice? Well, for example, would you want someone to attend the funeral if you were in the piazza's shoes? Of course. So make sure you have multiple people there. If you're from the fraternity, make sure you have somebody there. Yes, yes, it's going to suck because somebody's probably going to be shitty to you. But it's the right thing to do. Come on. When you're interviewed for a national show, be prepared. You know the first question is going to be hard-hitting. You know it's going to be negative. So you have to practice for multiple potential questions, and you have to do deliberate practice. I've written about deliberate practice a lot. Ever since reading that book about deliberate practice, it really rings true for the people who become the top in their field. Deliberate practice is about practicing your answer out loud in front of a camera or a mirror, preferably both, multiple times. There's no excuse for the president of a major university not to have done that. And if he did, then someone needed to tell him during practice that he wasn't getting it done. Or if he did do great at practice, then someone needs to coach him afterwards to let him know he came up short in the game situation. You need to role play with others. You need to make sure you come across as real, caring, and empathetic rather than corporate uninspiring, or covering up from a legal standpoint. Don't make things worse. Instead, tell your story in a clear and common sense manner and cut the BS. The No BS Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash no BS. He's back in the news again, so try a book like Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future. You can download it for free today. Go to audibletrial.com slash no BS. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash no BS for your free audiobook. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once a freshman... Always a freshman. I'll admit it. I'm a lucky guy. I have the opportunity to do what I love and teach it to others. And I love teaching and coaching. That's why I'm a position as an adjunct professor of marketing at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, IUP, is one that I relish. Why? Because by teaching undergrads, I'm consistently reminded of a basic premise in life. We must keep learning. And to do so, we have to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. Sure, we can tell ourselves we do this all the time. 
we can pat ourselves on the back for conducting meetings with C-suite execs and brokering big-time deals or whatever else that you do. But ask yourself, how often do you really step out of your well-appointed comfort zone? By well-appointed, you got your title, you got your education. But how often do you really step out of your well-appointed comfort zone and do something you simply have no idea how to do? I'll bet it's not often enough. As my own career has progressed, I've learned that those of us who are well into our professional lives can easily slip into a trap of thinking we don't need to keep learning. We've earned our stripes, right? Wrong. (laughs) In this uh, podcast, I'm going to break it down for you freshman style. I'll give you the premise, the lesson, and the takeaway. Start taking notes, because like any diligent student, you'll be quizzed. The premise. As an adjunct professor at IUP, one of my courses this semester was to teach a popular advertising class. I have a captive audience. Though the class typically has about 30, 35 students, 57 registered this time. What does this mean for me? A larger group to reach? but a greater challenge. And anyone who knows me knows I love a challenge. So I assigned my students a class project, one that involved working in small groups as client and agency partners. The assignment entailed what I thought was a basic function of technology, something that we professionals do quite often, set up and hold a conference call. Yet at the mention of a conference call, That's right, multiple phone lines conjoined to allow for a group discussion. My undergrads, juniors and seniors in college, were baffled. Not only had some never conducted a group call, they also had no idea how to initiate a conference call using their trusty cell phones. They simply balked at the idea and froze. The lesson What's going on here? I asked myself. Isn't everyone born after 1980 a digital native and therefore able to run the world from their phones? Aren't these kids born speaking the language of technology? (laughs) Well, yes and no. Sure, they can Snapchat their way into the wee hours of the morning, but ask them to apply technology to an unfamiliar or new task and they're suddenly bewildered. There's an emoticon for that reaction, but let's stick to words. Their non-fluency with technology became concrete when I asked them to add their audio of their presentation to their PowerPoint deck. Again, almost complete intimidation when faced with a new or unfamiliar task. So here's what I've learned. The general assumption of millennials and their relationship with technology is, in many ways, a generalization that carries too many assumptions. Or in the language of digital natives, a hashtag major fail. Millennials aren't any different than any other generation. When faced with learning something new, they're intimidated. In a recent CNBC.com article, news associate Nana Sadibe writes that millennials aren't as tech-savvy as people think. Sidibe quotes a report that focuses on the STEM, science, tech, engineering, and math, 
skills of millennials. The report reveals that roughly 58% of millennials have failed to master tech skills that help increase workplace productivity. Sidibe goes on to write that the number is more surprising given that they spend 35 hours per week using digital media, the report states. 58%? That's more than half. Should we carelessly label millennials digital natives? No. Should we always question assumptions? Yes. The takeaway. Back to the big picture. What can we, as marketing professionals, PR practitioners, C-suite executives, department heads, middle managers, directors, and founders of companies learn from my millennial students. No matter the age or phase of life, we're always students. Teaching college students is a great reminder of this basic premise. I'm lucky that I'm in a position to consistently learn this lesson. That's why I'm passing it on to you. The lesson is also a testament to my belief that nobody can out you, you. I talk about this all the time. Be authentic. Be you. Don't try to be someone else. It's, it's human nature to compare to others, which we all do from time to time, but it's psychologically not a good thing to do. Don't compare to someone else. Don't try to be someone else. Even the people who influenced you and who you're going to carry with life lessons throughout your life the whole time, you're going to do some of their traits, but you still have to be you because nobody can out you, you. If you're trying to be like your boss or be like someone you listen to on a podcast or be like someone's book you read, somebody else can beat you because you're being someone else, but no one can out you, you. Let me break it down further. Your success is dependent upon you, nobody else. Your age, upbringing, heck, even your level of experience can't compete when it comes to being your own self-starter. What matters is your ability your willingness to step outside of your comfort zone and learn. When faced with diving in and doing something new for the very first time, a willing 75-year-old baby boomer may rejoice in the task of starting a conference call, posting to Instagram, or even creating a Snapchat account, and will thus, quote, earn an A for effort, whereas a 20-year-old millennial may be completely lost, get frustrated, and give up. Whether it's technology, speaking in front of a crowd, or starting a company, it's all about you, not your age, not your comfort level, not your natural abilities, not your education, you. Why am I passionate about this topic? Because no matter where you are in your career, you must be willing to take on the quote, always a student mindset and try something new. If you think that social media isn't for you, or doesn't apply, think again. If you believe that you don't need to sharpen your speaking and presentation skills, think again. Remember, nobody can out you you, so don't let them. Find out what you still need to learn. Maybe you've just been promoted to senior VP. Maybe you're the CEO. Or maybe you're celebrating your 65th birthday and thinking about retirement. It doesn't matter. You're still a student. To quote Einstein, once you stop learning, you start dying. Take his words to heart. And now back to class. The quiz. 
How and what you learn is specific to you, your learning style, and your individual exposure to a topic. When learning something new, ask yourself these three questions to help spur on the learning and keep your skills sharp. Number one, what is it that you want to learn? Number two, what do you need to learn? Number three, how can you apply what you've learned? Now hit the books and your phones. This episode's no BS tool is Harvest, a web-based time tracking tool that offers time tracking, invoicing, expense tracking, and time-based reporting. Users can send automated payment reminders from the software in case clients haven't paid an invoice on time. This is a less stressful option for those managers or anyone else who hate pinging their customers about invoices. Harvest was one of the first software-as-a-service applications to be built on the Ruby on Rails framework and is listed as one of the most prolific. It was also one of the first businesses to integrate with Twitter, enabling its users to track time via tweets. Whether it's from the web, your smartphone, or another application, it's never been so easy to track time. With a simple, intuitive interface, getting you and your team on board is fast and easy. Harvest's powerful reporting gives you real-time access to keep your projects on time and on budget. Get the insight you need to estimate future projects and ensure your business's profitability. Time tracking is just the beginning. Fast invoices and payments. Create and send them online. Accept payments online with PayPal and other ways. Expense tracking without the mess. Snap photos of receipts and store them in Harvest with our free iPhone and Android apps. Trust me, everything I'm telling you about I've used and you guys know me. So you know I'm going to want to snap that photo of the receipt instead of worrying about it. You can connect your favorite tools, simplify your workflow with 70-plus business apps from project management to accounting. They've got fantastic support. When you call, you speak to this thing called a human. If you tweet them, they'll reply. Reach out. They get answers fast. So today's tool is Harvest from a time tracking and so much more standpoint. I've used it personally quite a bit, and that's why I've included it. Thanks for joining us for the No BS Marketing Show. Visit MassSolutions.biz for show notes, plus additional marketing and messaging resources. Are you signed up for light reading? You'll receive timely, valuable ideas to improve your marketing and transform your message. It really is light, intended to be read in two minutes or less, and it just might trigger bright ideas for you. Again, to sign up, visit MassSolutions.biz. Scroll down a little bit, find the light reading entry point. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? and build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.